A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Retirement Toolbox. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor, president of Skybox Financial Group, serving you in the greater Cleveland area. But also you can find Scott from anywhere across the country or even the world at skyboxfinancialgroup.com, skyboxfinancialgroup.com. We've got a great show on the way today. We're going to be talking about the string of bank collapses that have so far happened in 2023 and break down what some of the experts are saying about the collapses And we're going to ask Scott, should we be trusting in these takeaways and this advice? So I know it's a topic that's on a lot of people's minds. So I'm looking forward to your perspective on that, Scott. And a little later on, we'll have a question from David in the mailbag portion of the program. David's positive that he has more than enough money saved to last the rest of his life. He's not trying to brag, uh, but he does still seek advice for what to do for somebody who's kind of in a coasting position. Not a bad place to be, but that means you don't have questions. So going to answer David's question and more as we walk through the show today. Scott, good to be with you, my friend. What's uh, going on with you? Well, so if people can reach me from around the world, does that mean I am world famous? You are, you are worldwide. You are worldwide. worldwide. I don't know about world famous, but worldwide. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think I'm world famous. Known the world over. Scott's there you go. How about that? Is that a good compromise? Wait, who's that? Who's that? Is it Pitbull? It's Mr. Worldwide? Oh, Mr. Worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to do the rest of the song, but yeah, that's right. Mr. Worldwide. Yeah, my daughters went to go see him in concert. <laughs> did they Did they like it? Yeah, they actually got bald wigs and wore bald wigs. Did they really? Sunglasses. Oh, gosh. They totally did. That yeah. is so funny. We we went to our first uh, first concert in Colorado at the famous Red Rocks, the outdoor oh yeah the outdoor uh, venue that's right up against all the rocks and all that kind of stuff. Neat venue. I did not have a great time, but you're such a party pooper. I'm a party pooper. I'm not a big live music like I'm not a big. I don't dance and. You know, like live music's okay, but I don't go nuts for things. And uh, let's just say the smoking was really, really mm. uh, bothering me. That was, oh, I bet. We I could bet. not. Smoking a bunch of different things. Uh, and and it was. It, it was a variety. It was a lot of different types of smoking going on, from vaping to regular cigarettes to other things. And um, it was everywhere. And yeah, it was just not. I, we couldn't get away from it. We were in general admission. So I was like, It'll, we can just move over here. Nope. As soon as we moved over somewhere else, boom, somebody stood next to us and lit up. And then we moved somewhere else, boom. We must have bounced to 20 different seats, Scott. It was insane. And I was, it was also raining and kind of cold and I'd forgotten to wear like a sweatshirt underneath of my rain jacket. So it was kind of still getting into my bones a little bit. And then we just, I don't know, I was just kind of annoyed. And then the music just ended up being not quite what I thought it was going to be. So it was, it was, Connie had a good time. <laughs> You're just Debbie, <laughs> Downer. Debbie Downer today. You're bringing down the whole podcast. I'm sorry. I was. What else is I wrong? What, what else are you going to complain about? Jeez. All right. All right. On the positive note, this weekend, we're going to go hopefully see some live mountain goats at the top of a mountain. All right. So there, there's something cool. to. It's Colorado's mountain goats could be smoking too. <laughs> you never know. 
<laughs> you never know. Well, I'll let I'll report back next month to let you know what happened. <laughs> All right, <laughs> what we saw. So anyway, that'll be that'll be something fun we're getting into this weekend. But uh, but yeah, uh, are you all wrapped up? I mean, school's ending, right? So are you wrapped up with uh, lacrosse and all that stuff? Yeah, we're recording this the last week of May, yeah. and uh, yeah, my daughter's got two days of school left to go, and then uh, our lacrosse. This is our last week, and we're going to finish up uh, this weekend with the tournament. Yeah, awesome. Well, by the time this is airing, then you'll uh, you'll be all done and ready for summer. That's right. So. That's, That's perfect. Right. Well, hey, let's dive into uh, speaking of being Mr. Positive and, uh, you know, Debbie Downer. Let's talk about banks collapsing all around us. How about that? For yeah, that's a downer. Conversation. <laughs> so we first saw it with uh, what? Silicon Valley Bank, yep. uh, Credit Suisse, First Republic. Those names may ring a bell to anybody who's been kind of watching the news the last couple of months. Those were just a few of the banks that have experienced either incredible turmoil or complete collapse in the mm-hmm. past couple of months. And so we're kind of asking this question or we're getting these questions of, all right, well, how should I respond with my money? You know, do, do I put all in cash? Do I store it under my bed? You know, what do you do when the it's the actual banks that are collapsing around us? Um, or, Scott, the other way around, you may have aggressive folks that are like, should I throw a bunch of money into these depressed bank stocks that took a big mm-hmm. hit and ride the wave back up for the recovery? And so today's we're going to try and shed some light on all those questions. But I thought we'd do it in an interesting way, Scott, where we kind of just look at the news, look at what yep. other people who are listening to the show might be even hearing or reading about, and get your kind of response to some of these things a little bit. So you can help us kind of see through the noise a little bit. Um, does that sound good to you? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. So here we go. Um, we have a quote here from uh, President Biden, actually, in televised mm-hmm. remarks after that first SVB Uh, the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. He said, look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. And he went on to say that your deposits are safe. And let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed. But then more banks failed since then. So Mm -hmm. can we still have that sense of security and reassurance? Isn't when they tell you not to panic when you're supposed to panic? Well, I think I think one of the primary things here is the fact that the the government stepped in and said we are going to back all the deposits, even if you have over the normal FDIC insurance of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So that's what you know they're trying to portray because the last thing that they want are people freaking out, running to the bank and pulling out all their money uh, because then deposits are down and it creates a lot of different issues. So. Yes, I do believe the banking system's safe. The government stepped in to you know back more of those deposits to make people feel more comfortable. And yeah, there has been more depo- more uh, more failures or or issues with some of the banks since he's made those remarks. But they've you know they stood back and and you know the only depositors they had to really bail out is the SVB. I mean, First Republic was bought by Chase, and they absorbed all that. Good news for Chase. So, yeah, I do believe it. it is, you know, the banking system certainly going to be safe. Okay, very good. So we'll keep holding on to a little bit of that security there. All right, so let's move on to another uh, expert opinion or quote that we've pulled out from recent weeks. This is a crisis of some banks. It's not a crisis of banking. This was said by Stephen Kelly, a researcher at Yale's Program on Financial Stability. He recently downplayed the risks of the banking collapses that we have seen. And he said that basically uh, the banks that have failed are not representative 
of where most people bank, and thus it's not a problem that plagues the whole system. Others have also kind of thrown in here saying that SVB and First Republic, although they made big news, they are extreme cases. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Data shows that tens of billions of dollars have flooded from small banks into the 25 biggest banks in the country. And it, it kind of is supposed to help strengthen that argument, I guess, Scott, that the, the ones where most of our money are are actually got getting stronger because more people are fleeing to those banks. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. But what people need to understand is this is no 2008. This crisis was created by, I mean, it's not really a crisis. I mean, there are a couple mismanaged banks that manage their in- interest rate risk poorly. And 2008, totally different type of scenario where we had you know, all these people defaulting on their mortgages, walking away from their houses. They shouldn't have mortgages to begin with. And then that created this whole domino effect through the system. This is different. What has happened here is that we've got the Federal Reserve last year and into this year has been raising interest rates at historically high pace. So they've been raising interest rates very quickly. Well, what happens when interest rates go up? Bond values go down. So banks are required to have a certain amount of their deposits backed by safe investments. They were using treasuries, U.S. Treasury bills and bonds. And what happens when those interest rates went up? The value of those bonds dropped significantly. So they didn't weren't able to meet their uh, requirements for their safe assets. And then they had several other things happen, and they didn't have the reserves to be able to back up their deposits. And so it is isolated to these banks because of it, they were simply not managed well. SVB Bank, Silicon Valley, you know, a bunch of more speculative loans, you know, the startups and stuff like that. And it all kind of collapsed on them around the same time. So it is not the whole banking system. This is not a 2008. And yes, a lot of people have, I talked to a friend of mine that's a CFO of, of a large major company, and they looked at where all their deposit risk was. They looked, you know, they had a lot of money in regional banks, and they decided to move some of that money out into those big, large financial institutions. So, you know, companies are doing that, moving billions of dollars and moving it into those bigger banks, just making those bigger banks even more secure than they were before. I find this to be a good lesson in contradictory information, not necessarily misinformation, but just why context and nuance become important when you are talking about your money and talking about then these big macro economic kind of things, if we want to use a you know a buzzword. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you hear on one side, hey, money's flowing into the top 25 biggest banks. It's all good. But then you say, well, technically, SVB was the 16th biggest bank at the end of 2022, and First Republic was 14th. So there's two You're top right. 25 ones. But that nuance that you talked about is really important. The type of bank, even though they are big, the type of big bank that they are is really important. So that right. helps us navigate through that contradictory information, I feel. So really important. Uh, let's uh, Another kind of reaction to this whole banking crisis came from a New York Times columnist, Ron Lieber, I think is the pronunciation there. Uh, this was written, again, just a few days after SVB's collapse, so a little bit of age here. But he says, if you've embraced inaction in this turbulent moment, you may have it right. 
And I thought that was interesting because how often is the doing nothing <laughs> approach the right one in retirement and financial planning? Well, and when we think about, you know, there's a couple different ways to look at this, right? You talk about investing in stocks, right? If you've got a good quality company that you believe in and that stock drops because of external forces, then, you know, it is time to maybe ride it out and let let the stock come back up. But when when we're talking about your deposits in the bank, right? And I mean, your money there saying, hey, you know what? We can just hang tight. It'll work itself through. You know, in this situation, I believe that is the right approach with banking deposits. There's no need for you to go grab all your money out of the bank, shove it in the backyard. Certainly do, don't do like Cousin Eddie did in Vegas vacation and bury it in, uh, coffee cans that he can't find. You know, what we want to do is we want to, you know, have, there is stability there, just kind of letting everything ride out. And we kind of saw that. I mean, you know, it, the the government stepped in, backed things up, and, and it, it all seems to work itself out sometimes. And in financial planning, like I said, with the investments, you, you sometimes you got to stay the course if you know you're on the right course. Yeah, it's a great point. If you got any questions, by the way, as we talk about this bank stuff or just how to navigate it, you know, maybe the latest thing has obviously been defaulting on the debt and those concerns. If these kinds of things pop up in your mind and you've got questions about them frequently, it's a great indication to talk to an advisor to help you navigate through those waters. And you can always reach Scott at 888-742-0111 or new URL where you can book a time to chat online is talkwithscott.net. Again, talkwithscott.net. And we have linked to that in the show notes of today's episode to make it easy on you. Uh, Investors should avoid buying the banking sector dip, says Austin Graff, a portfolio manager for a publicly traded ETF thought that was interesting. He acknowledged that buying the dip has been a rewarding strategy for the past 15 years or so, but that might not be the wisest course moving forward. The key quote from this particular article was, while dip buyers may think of themselves as savvy investors, they don't necessarily know how to value a company. thought that was kind of interesting, just kind of on that notion of people who are looking at this as an opportunity, Scott, um, what do you think about dip buying? Aren't we supposed to buy low and sell high? Well, so I, I, you know, a statement's a little contradictory, right? Because yeah. I think the the reality is that, like I said before, if you have a good quality bank, right? Let's say it's Chase or, or somebody, you know, we always heard that too big to fail. Uh, but if you have a good quality company and you buy that stock when it dips, you're going to be rewarded. And you were in Chase's example, for instance. But if you're buying a crappy company, a company that's just not built very well or not very good, you could end up making a bad move by buying the dip. So I think it's it's simply buying the quality, getting the good quality companies. I think the bigger banks are the ways to go, but you know, certainly just blindly going in and saying, oh, SVB's down 80%, I'm going to buy some, didn't work out very well for you. Yeah, that's very, very true. <laughs> Um, even looking, I mean, there has been a little bit of a bounce back of Wells Fargo, but they went down again and then, you know, now coming back up a little bit, but it's not exactly like it's recovered completely yet. And, you know, out of the right. woods from a stock standpoint. So, but if you're a long-term investor, we know if you get a good quality company and you hold it, you know, it, you know, in the majority of cases, it's going to work out well for you. 
Yeah, interesting. All right, uh, so there you go. A couple of the key comments from uh, some experts across the landscape in reaction to some of these other bank crises, or as you mentioned, Scott, really not even a crisis, and unless you're one of those banks, then it's a crisis. But uh, kind of globally, if you will, um, you know, it sounds like you're quelling the concerns a little bit here. Are there any sure. other questions you're getting from folks that you think would be good to kind of uh, address as part of this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest things, you know, is, is should I look at spreading my money across multiple banks? I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big one that I get and a lot and mostly with CDs, right? Which you, but you know, I don't know if you necessarily need to do that. Go spreading, you know, if you got a hundred grand in the bank, taking 50 and putting it out over another bank. Again, I think the banking system's safe. I don't think we def- necessarily need to worry about not being able to get your money back. Now, CDs on the other side of the coin there, I mean, this was something that we've always done for years. I mean, we've had, we've had clients that, you know, maybe give us, they sell a house and they give us, you know, $700,000, but they want to keep it conservative. We'll spread that out across three different banks and three different CDs at different banks. So I think, you know, spreading it around from, from that point of view, from, you know, if you've got a larger amount of money, you don't ever want to go over that $250,000 mark. But as far as, you know, if you got 10 grand, in the bank, should you go put it, you know, two grand in five different banks? I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> a little, little overkill, unnecessary, yeah. maybe there. Yeah. yeah. Good point. All right. So very good. Uh, great breakdown on the banking situation of the last couple of months. We'll keep an eye on it some more. And again, if you've got additional questions, reach out to Scott here on the Retirement Toolbox by calling 888-742-0111 or online. Schedule time to visit at talkwithscott.com. .net talkwithscott.net and you can book a time to chat right there from your smartphone or computer. We still have a good question from David to answer on today's show and coming up next we'll get to know Scott a little bit better. It's getting to know you time. All right, so our question on today's episode for you Scott has to do with uh, the old college days and uh, I'm curious uh, what about your current life? Would the college-aged version of yourself have the toughest time believing? Wow. Um, I would say probably the fact that I would have four daughters. Oh, I can imagine that. Yeah, that's probably you not know, something I, you were sitting there in college saying, yeah, I think this is how life's going to play out. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I mean, uh, losing my hair, yeah, I could probably get a hold of that one. But, you know, having four daughters, yeah, I don't know if I would have believed that. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear that. I'll go the opposite. I, I We don't have kids yet, and I think my college-aged version would be surprised to to learn that I don't have kids yet because I'd always thought – I always kind of wanted to get married young and have kids right away, and it just didn't work out that way for Connie and I out of the gate. We still plan on doing it, but we've definitely <laughs> waited much later in life than we kind of first thought we would. So, yeah, it's, it yeah. definitely took, a, took shape a little bit differently than I thought. Yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah, so it's funny. I'd say I'm, I'm kind of the other the other side of that coin. <laughs> Too funny. Uh, well, there you go. That's interesting. Yeah, what would the college-age version of yourself have the toughest time believing about your life today? Interesting. I'm probably for our listeners to ponder that question as well. Yeah, uh, coming we can, up next. Oh, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say, Scott? No, you throw my weight in there, too. I mean, I, I mean <laughs> 
Like, what? How much will you weigh? Yeah, there you go. And four daughters? I think Man, you're almost a- everybody could raise their hand on that one. Yeah, you're a mess, dude. <laughs> Get your life together. <laughs> nah, you're in good shape, my friend. No worries. Uh, all right, we got more coming up. In fact, we're going to answer David's question next as we open up the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. All right, so I teased this uh, at the beginning of today's episode. David's in pretty good shape, but it doesn't mean he's without questions. So David says, I'm positive that I have more than enough money saved to last the rest of my life. There's just no way I could spend it all. I'm not bragging. I just find myself in a very blessed position. Is there any advice you'd give to somebody like me, or can I just coast my way through life, financially speaking? Well, I mean... David, I mean, I'm happy for you that you're able to save, but I don't think anybody should coast their way through life, financially speaking. Uh, We have a lot of clients that have accumulated more than enough assets and they are going to spend in the rest of their life. But your focus now should think about, okay, so what? when I pass away, what is my situation going to look like? How can I minimize taxes? not have to overpay in taxes. And when I pass away, how am I going to get that money most efficiently to my children, assuming you have some, and keep as much money as I can out of Uncle Sam's pocket and make sure things are easy for them. There's things you could do from a charitable standpoint, if you're charitably minded, to help reduce your taxes. And and you can also, like I said, do some estate planning and making sure that you've got everything tidied up. So you don't want to certainly coast and you don't want to get super aggressive because, you know, that could kind of mess up your plans. So you need to have a good, consistent financial strategy that's going to, you know, give you good, consistent growth minimize your taxes, and then make sure that whatever's left over at the end of the day is going to pass to your children, your heirs, or a charity as easily as possible and with the least amount of taxes possible. It's a great question, David. Thanks for sending that one in to us. And yeah, great position to be in, but no need to still not try to maximize your opportunities and uh, and still mm-hmm. make good, smart decisions. It's probably what's gotten you to where you are today by making yep. good choices and decisions. So don't stop that habit uh, now just because you're in a great spot. Lots of ways that you can leverage and maximize what you've got there if that's uh, a desire. So great points, great question. Thanks for the help there, Scott. Again, if you have Absolutely. any questions about your financial situation, just how David kind of tossed a question out there, you can do that one-on-one with Scott, actually. A great way to begin your conversation about retirement planning or diving into your finances a little bit more. You can call Scott at 888 or go online to talkwithscott.net, and you can schedule a time to visit from your computer or smartphone, and we'll link to that in the show notes of today's program. Uh, Scott, thanks for all the help on the show today. Enjoyed it, and uh, enjoy your start of summer, my friend, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. It's always a fun time. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time right back here on the Retirement Toolbox. Go try. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.